0: The Drink Beer Think Beer podcast is sponsored by Beer Edge. I'm Andy Crouch, the co-founder of Beer Edge, along with my partner and your podcast host, John Hall. John and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at beeredge.com with your thoughts. And as always, thanks for your support. I'm John Hall. Welcome to Drink Beer Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. Autumn is in full swing here in the Northeast, and so it seemed appropriate to take a drive, see the leaves, and stop in at Drowned Lands Brewing in Warwick, New York. Owner Mike Cry is coming up in a minute, but first, this episode is produced by BeerEdge. Check out BeerEdge.com to sign up for the newsletter, read articles, and find more information about this podcast and the one hosted by Andy Crouch. And more plus don't forget to follow beer edge on social media at the beer edge and also to leave a review of the show drink beer think beer wherever you download podcasts it's hard to keep up with all that's happening in beer these days even before COVID 19 happened there were so many breweries opening and causing good local stirs that it was tough to follow along with everything so thank goodness for friends Over the summer, a pal of mine, Jason Garris, stopped by for some socially distanced driveway beers and dropped off a Beer de garde from Drownlands, a new-to-me brewery in New York's lower Hudson Valley. It was outstanding. Jason followed up with a few more, including a freshly canned double IPA from the brewery and a Lavender Saison. Again, outstanding beers. Then... Justin Kennedy, the producer on Steal This Beer, picked up some offerings from the brewery from his local bodega and sent them to me and Augie Carton for Steal This Beer. We enjoyed them very, very much. And so it seemed only appropriate to don some PPE and head north from the house to visit Mike Cry, the owner of Drownlands, to see just what he had going on. And from the moment I pulled up to the meticulously restored century-old building and saw rows of freshly installed fooders from the brew house windows, I knew it was gonna be a good day. The space is massive, suited for drinking apart during a pandemic. The 15,000 square foot space sits on three acres with large lawns and an ample patio and even a second floor event space that he hopes to use soon. Mike isn't shy about talking about the nearly three million dollars he spent on the renovations and the build out and it shows. With a view of the Appalachian Mountains and in a dedicated farmland area, he wants the beers to be a reflection of place and is trying to make the most out of his State Farm Brewery license in his state-of-the-art brewery, as well as to play around with traditions. This is my first at-the-brewery interview for this show since the pandemic upended life. We spoke on a beautiful autumn afternoon at the tasting room at a table next to an open bay door, and you might hear the wind rustle the leaves a little bit and a cement truck towards the end of our chat because there's construction happening in a building across the way. My apologies. Mike's a former CPA, and that's a profession that is usually adverse to risk. Still, he got started at a small nano brewery before opening Drownlands about a year ago and then opening the taproom just a few weeks back. And so he was curious about risk and fear and when, in his mind, it was time to move forward with this brewery. Here's our conversation.
1: Um, I don't know if I would say I, I embrace the fear, but one of the things, so my wife actually is risk averse and we're the... Were the people that really took on the brunt of this risk? We, I had to convince my wife to take, you know, a mortgage out on her house. So this was a decision we made together. She and I'm, I'm to open up the first brewery. To open uh, this brewery. This brewery. Yeah, here. this okay. brewery. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I would tell her is kind of, and one of the things I would ri- remind myself is like, what is the worst case scenario? So for us, and it's not a good scenario, but at the end of the day, the worst case scenario of us, of me quitting my background as a CPA and um, opening up a brewery and taking out a, a loan and taking out the whole risk and just the the, the worst thing we're gonna lose, the, the worst case scenario is money. And for me, that's not that bad, you know? Um, so just reminding her of that and myself of that sometimes too, where it's just like, look, we, we have our health, we have each other, um, and I'd much rather live with the, you know, the outcome of we tried this and it didn't work out as opposed to living with regret and wondering had I have taken that chance. So to me, it was just like, I kind of, I guess I went about it a little bit analytically in the sense of like, A, what's the worst case scenario? And B, what does it look like if I don't go down this road? So that's kind of, I don't know if that's embracing the fear, but that's how I managed the, the risk and the decision I guess when you
0: started your first brewery mm-hmm. and you were nano and yes. then you you know you, you very quickly you told me earlier you very quickly decided that it just doesn't work. And yeah. and and I'm always sort of amazed when And i shouldn't be anymore but like when somebody starts off as a nano and they think like okay this is it like i'm gonna make two barrels at a time i'm gonna go from there mike hess out in san diego uh, i remember he was one of the very first nanos as as we were calling i think he was doing one barrel at a time and he had all these profiles done about him like here's the home brewer with a federal liquor license you know a federal brewing license that kind of thing and i remember talking to him early on he said i'm never going to do anything else yeah you know i'm always going to be small like this and then he called me up about three months later and he was like, so I just signed a lease for a 50,000 square foot (laughs) warehouse and I bought a 50 barrel brew house. And I'm like, what happened to never, you know, it, it, could you have done this without having done the two barrel system first? (laughs) Or is that still a necessary stepping stone for folks who, you know, don't necessarily, you know, start off a career in brewing?
1: I, for me, I'm tremendously glad that this, that I did that first because the, you know, want to talk about risk a little bit. I mean, the risk on that operation was minimal. I mean, the budget was smaller, the, just the overall investment in general. So, um, I don't know if, I think, I, I guess theoretically you can do it. Um, but I think you're going to miss some things along the way. Um, one of the things that we do here and one of the one of the things I really wanted to focus on here was in general the experience of the consumer at Drownlands. Yeah. And if you don't have the experience of actually building a brewery and ho and or and or a bar, but just like hosting people and going down that road, it's really hard to understand what's gonna what people are going to connect to and what works well and what doesn't work well. So for me, um, I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, I learned trial by fire, but it, at the same time, it was, it just wasn't the the risk reward was great because it was at the again I go back to what was the worst case scenario. It, it wasn't that big of a deal. We lost a little bit of money. So, um, I guess the short answer is no. It would not look like this <laughs> if I if I did not have a background in 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 somewhat in beer. So, so
0: let's talk about where we are right now because mm-hmm. I, I, I think anybody who Comes here, and I'm going to encourage everybody to to do that. Um, this isn't your normal Edison light bulb, beat up couch in the corner, corrugated uh, steel warehouse uh, vibe kind of thing. And this is one. We're in a historic building that's a century old. Uh, you know, two, you, you've really sort of moderned it up uh, mm-hmm. in, in in a way with you know these white painted brick walls and you know uh, uh, smooth car uh, uh, or uh, concrete floors, as Trowel it were. Trowel finished floor, yep. Yeah, um, but modern furniture and, mm-hmm. you know, modern life fixtures, Very lots of live plants, which yeah. is, uh, you know, not something <laughs> that you usually see. The, ve- no. the most vegetation you usually see at a brewery is either hops or the other substance that's related to hops, sure. you know? So, you know, seeing live plants yeah. here is, is, is kind of nice as well. It's different from what you had before. Mm-hmm.
1: When did you start thinking about the aesthetic of the brewery really day one um when i first so in general, when I was looking for a building and looking to build a a brewery, I very much wanted it to be a destination brewery that's what we're built for um we have we only have a fifteen barrel brew house, which is still relatively small um and so we can't make that much beer, so uh we want people to tr- consume on premise right because that's that's yeah. a model that works for us so um <laughs> That's a model that might have worked in mid-2019, though. Uh, I suppose, I guess. Um, As opposed to 2020, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Like in the middle so, of a pandemic, like, hey, everybody, come yes. on down and hang well, out. And,
0: and you have the acreage. We're, yeah. we're sitting uh, in your tasting room, but there's garage doors that are opened up onto your patio and then a, a huge field that leads down to the to the river from there, right? Uh, yeah. Or the creek from yep. there. Um, so you're not wanting for space. No, we're not. Um, and But and- it's also still tough to get people to... Sure. Feel comfortable. um, Yes.
1: I think for us, the fact that we have two acres of licensed property inside or outside and the inside outside space flows so well, there's so many windows in here. Once we open up all the garage doors and the windows, it almost feels like you're outside inside, if that makes sense. So, um, but yes, I mean, we didn't build this brewery for a pandemic, right? So like (laughs) our model was not based on, this project started well before then. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think... When I was looking for a property, it was very much the idea was to have a place that one is a place of community. It's I mean, the first beer that we we released is called Gather House, which is just this idea that it's like your brewery and your facility is a part of the community. Um, And I love seeing families come here, people with dogs. I mean, it's very much a destination type space. So, I mean, before I was even looking for a building, that's what I was looking for, a a property that really spoke to community and a place where people came and and can come and just enjoy. And um, even if you're not a huge beer person, I think people have a great time here and they love this space just because of of what it is and and the the beauty of Warwick, which is pretty breathtaking.
0: and it is, this is a beautiful part of, uh, of, of New York state that, you know, folks should go to. And I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, there's the orchard around here, it does, uh, Doc's Draft, they, they've been around forever. Yep. A lot um, of orchards. yeah. And you know, so, so th- it's not unfamiliar for wineries and cideries and, um, are, are the locations, but I'm, I'm curious about breweries as gathering spots because yeah. maybe it's just 2020 and I miss being at breweries. Um, but by and large I feel like for a little while, like beer lost its way with that, where it was people were going for special releases or, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they weren't necessarily going as like meeting spots, which, Mm -hmm. which is what they were designed to be Mm -hmm. showing up here though. You're almost forced to relax. You're almost forced to, to, to calm down. Yeah. How important is that to the beer drinking
1: experience in your mind? I think, it's, I think it's just part of the experience. I mean, that's something that we, we advertise very clearly on our cans. We say two things on there that kind of speak to that. One is slow down, stay a while. It's like one of the things that we kind of built our brand around, um, not just from the way that we make beer, which is what I'm sure we'll get into, but we, yeah. we ferment super slow, we use oak. So we're patient with our beer, but then just the idea of like, take a weekend away and that's the other thing we say on your can which is take off your rote which is just get out of your routine get out of your day take off your what what's take th- off your rote rote yeah r-o-t-e okay. it's R- like a yeah. saying for like just get out of like yeah. your your day-to-day um so i mean that's just something that we we built our brand on honestly which is just slow down stay a while enjoy the space um and i do think it actually affects the the consumption of the liquid right i mean just from a Science standpoint, as that beer warms up, the the flavor is going to change, so you're going to go through a different experience in that sense. But from the mental piece of it, it's I just think beer is made to be to make you relax and to to have a conversation, to have to to have a sense of community. So it's like it's almost like you're doing this. You know what I mean? Like just this the staying, the slowing down, relaxing it's like is the beer relaxing you or are you coming to relax it it's like the i don't know cart before the horse i guess so but let's they talk, go hand in hand for me well let's talk
0: about your brewery so uh, this is my first visit here yeah. uh you've been open for a couple of months now and uh, almost a year in brewing but uh, the yeah. the tasting room has been open for five weeks yeah, yeah five weeks now so just mm-hmm. not even two months but yeah. um pull up and it's unmistakable to see uh these great food or craft fooders that you have mm-hmm. uh are there six of them that i'm looking seven. at? Right? There's seven there's Oh, yep. that's right yeah three and four yep. um, and they really are a showpiece you know you see them mm-hmm. when you're getting out of your car you see them when you're sitting here in the in, in 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 the tasting room um where's the appeal for oak age where's the appeal for you as a brewer in because th- that's a commitment and 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 we're living, I think, still in an age yeah. where it's turn and burn your stainless as fast as possible. <laughs> yes, you know, pilsners are taken off, lagers are yeah. taken off. They need time, but yeah, it's still, you know,
1: kettle sours and New England IPAs are you know, profitable for a reason. And yes, yeah, uh, I mean, oak's amazing. Uh, just oak is absolutely amazing. What oak does to beer, I mean, you're we're sitting drinking, Rare Earth, which is our New York fooder pilsner so um <laughs> anybody listening to this is shocked shocked that i'm drinking a pilsner <laughs> sorry, right yeah. sorry <laughs>
0: yeah it's fine it's uh i just want to say like i said to you dealer's choice whatever yeah. you want and you know you don't know me and you yeah. just you wanted to pour this so i'm
1: happy for that yeah yes yeah, so um i mean this pilsner is unlike any pilsner you're gonna drink it's uh oak oak just does a tremendous amount i mean it's a diff we actually truly ferment in oak too we don't yeah. actually ferment in stainless and then transfer to oak so that beer is fermented in oak um, and as we all know, oak is super porous. So you're just going to have a different fermentation because what's surrounding that vessel is going to change. So for us, food one is rare earth and we brew that it, it sits in oak for about the first turn was a little bit shorter because it was the first turn in fresh oak, but that was in there for about three months and that, uh, four months, excuse me. And then the second batch was three months because we we uh excuse me i said that backwards the first the first turn was three months because it was fresh oak so it got it picked up that oak and really quickly, quickly. Yeah. yeah and then the second batch was four months so and i think we'll probably i just actually tasted rare earth today i think we'll probably stick with four months i don't think we're gonna have to keep pushing that out but as soon as rare earth comes out of that fooder we just put it right back in so that that fooder is rare earth for life it's just a style of beer i was super super excited to to brew and to make and to have. Um, it's got this balance of flavor. Uh, you get the Oak and you get, it's a lot more bready because then that part of that is the New York mall. Yeah. Um, but still a Pilsner, super clean, crisp. Uh, it just has like a layer of, we call it roasted marshmallow on there, um, that we love. So, in, it, I mean, the sh- it's, I could talk about Oak forever cause how does Oak change beer? It changes the fermentation. It changes the flavor of the beer. The process is different. It's slower. It's longer. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it represents drowned lands, right? And it, it goes to this idea of terroir when you're, if you really want to represent terroir and you want to represent your land, I feel like you have to use Oak because when we brew that in winter, it's going to be different than when we brew it in summer. And that's, yeah. that's okay with us. Like it's, some people might not notice the difference. We might notice a little bit of a difference and obviously temperature is a huge thing on a pilsner. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, that's just the beauty of it. Like it, it, I think, uh, the rare barrel says it well, when they say we don't, we don't make co- the same beer, like consistent beer. We make consistently good beer, yeah. which is like, and, and they know that their barrels are going to change from time to time. And, and, um, that's kind of our mentality too. We have no problem with, with a beer representing a specific season or a, a specific, uh, you know, temperature and time of year. So I, I'm always struck with because I agree with you,
0: but I've also been drinking a lot of beer for a long time. And, yeah. you know, I, it, it's it's nice to have familiar touchstones on a particular beer. But, like, if there is variation in a positive way, that's okay. If there's variation where, you know, like, you don't know what you're going to get from sure. one batch to the next, like, that, that that really sucks. But, like, is that a tough sell to a lot of consumers? Or in the years that you've been doing this, you know, you know, the year here and then, you know, previously... Yeah has there been a shift in consumer understanding of what it means to be craft or micro or independent or whatever word we're using right now versus, you know, wonder bread is always going to taste like wonder bread.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for us, we have to do a lot of education with our consumer just because people are obviously familiar with IPAs. Everybody knows what an IPA is, but people don't know what a beer de garde is or grisset or, yeah. or more a lot of these farmhouse styles even Cezanne, a lot of people are like what you know so um for us that's one of the things that i think we try to do really well is like all of our servers understand what's unique about our beer like yeah and the, because the fooders are literally right next to the bar i mean they're you can see them from the taste room it's like people don't know what a fooder is. And we're like, well, look over there, that's an oak vessel that your beer was fermented in that. And because it was fermented in that, it has these characters, characteristics. So um, for us, we try to educate people on the farmhouse styles. Um, We still make styles that people are familiar with and approachable. Like We don't shy away from that either because I think when you are a destination brewery, like you can't just (laughs) have 10 wild ales on tap and then grandma comes in and she's like, what what is this you know so um i don't know i know some grandmas that like <laughs> to party that's uh, uh. W-
0: when you're thinking about oak and you're thinking about your fooders and you're thinking about uh making a beer to guard making a pilsner making a uh you know so many of these beers that have become normalized and stainless yeah when you're thinking about recipe development it you have to start thinking about the Oak first, right?
1: Um, yes. Or no. I mean, yeah. I think you think about, I led you into that unfairly. No, yeah. you do. Um, I mean, certain beers you just know need to be an Oak, right? Like, yeah. so pretty much. Yeah. No. Sorry, so hundred. Yeah, go ahead. A hundred percent of the farmhouse beers that we've brewed have been in Oak. So that's, That makes that easy, right? So, like, if we know we need more farmhouse beer for our menu, like, we know we're going to do it in oak. So, we don't have to think about that first in that sense of, like, whether we're going to do an oak or stainless. Like, we know we're going to do it in oak. But in terms of recipe development, sure. Like, how is that going to impact the flavor of this beer? Absolutely. I mean, that's what recipe development is, right? You want to think about how the various mediums are all going to come together for the finished beer. So, um, yeah. I mean, our process is relatively simple in the sense that usually it's just me my head brewer Travis Lancaster who's fantastic um, we will just go into the tasting room we'll taste oak we'll taste you know what's what's in there and then we're like okay this is almost done and then we start thinking about what goes in next okay so, but
0: but unpack that for me because how, how do you know when it's like what is it what is it that speaks to you in in your mind and your palate because you know, obviously what is going to be put out on, on draft is the representation that you and Travis want it to be, yeah. Um. you know, that you want to represent your place. You know, you're not necessarily speaking to huge grocery store chains yeah. or huge volumes, that kind of thing. So is there something when you're tasting oak, when you're tasting the level of oak in certain recipes, is there something that says, okay, that's it or not quite yet?
1: Yeah, it just depends on the beer. I mean, some beers you want oak to be dominant in some beers you want it just to uh complement other flavors that are in the beer. So um we wanted our Fuder pilsner to be p- relatively oaky. You know, when okay. you put food or pilsner on the label like I think people are expecting to taste oak. Sure. Um but it you can go too far with that f- for sure. So uh in contrast, we have a fest beer in food or 2 right now which um we just want it to be a little bit cleaner. So we actually just tasted that this morning and it's not near as oaky as this beer. And we're like, we're okay with that. Like it still has, if you look for it, it's there, but it's just, we're. It, that was just, I mean, this, that one this morning was as simple as Travis. like, yeah, I don't really want it to be that oaky. And I'm like, yep, yeah, I agree with that. I'm good. Like we tasted it. I'm like, yep, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, so I guess the short answer is just a hundred percent what we taste and what we like. I mean, it's, I have a friend who says, like, you can go so complicated with beer, and at the end of the day, he's a, he's a fantastic brewer, and he just says, does it taste good? Like, And yeah. sometimes you just have to come back to that, like, just very simple question, like, we just want this to taste good. What tastes good? And that's that's kind of the determining factor.
0: I want to go back to what you were talking about with time, because in three, four months uh, in a fooder is, you know, for, for, for Pilsner, it's 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 a commitment for sure um and it changes from when you first make it and, and to when it when it comes out as well but you were also talking about um when people are drinking mm-hmm. and how it can change from when you first get the glass until the end of the yeah. glass and, and and the continuation do you think about that when you're building out a recipe do you think about how it changes after the fact
1: um not really no <laughs> I think about that when I'm serving people beer and I'm trying to understand what type of beer people like and what they're looking for. Um, but And I think about that when I'm consuming beer, but um, from a recipe development, not so much. Um, I guess half of our beer is going into cans, half of it's on draft. so that's a little bit different way of consuming beer. Yeah. Um, I personally love to see beer in glassware, so I think cans are a beautiful way of getting beer to the destination and being perfectly carbonated and all those wonderful things. But um we love to we love to pour beer in glassware. Me and Travis are both big fans of that. Yeah. Open it up, let it breathe, see it, experience it. Um, and then yeah, take your time with it and just let it let it take you through just a little afternoon, you know? Um, and that goes back to the destination piece of who we are. And if you look at our our menu Um, we very, we have a lot of table beers. We have a lot of low ABV approachable drinkable beers, um, that are, you know, they're just made to be enjoyed on a, on a Friday afternoon, a Saturday afternoon. And that's, that's what we're, that's what, that's like the vision, right? It's just to have people really, again, take off your road and just like, let this, let this be your time, turn your phone off, like enjoy the outdoors Enjoy enjoy the space. Tr- kind of transpose into something yeah. that's different than your day to day. Well, if all so, you were
0: doing was 12% quads or yes. you know, whatever, people yeah. would have to be one and done because right. it's not like there's anything else nearby where we are right now. And, you know, people have to <laughs> no. you know, get home on their yeah. own power, presumably, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, you don't imagine Uber makes its way out here uh, all that much. There's no Uber. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so does that play? we into- get that question a lot though? There's no Uber, just
0: so you know. D- does that or there's like one guy and yeah, you don't want to call him. Trust no. us. Yeah, it's, it's yes. That kind of thing. Yes. There's yeah. For um, sure. But does that? But does ABV play into being a destination brewery?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, we get a lot of people that come right when we open at 12. Like most people don't want to start at 12 with a triple IPA. I mean, so there, there, I'm sure there amateurs. are people out there. Yeah, they're called amateurs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, people show up right at 12 with their kids and they let their kids run around the beer garden and they're looking for a Pilsner or um, our table. We have a bunch of table saisons that are like 3%, 3.5%. Um, you know, so we do, like our, I think our highest ABV beer we've released is a little over 8 yeah. So, um, it definitely comes into play for destination brewery for us. I mean, you also have to think about, I guess the management side of that as well. Like we're not open late and we don't have super high ABV beer or out like real liquor because we don't really want to like, that's not our vibe. That's yeah. not our culture. We don't really want to. You don't deal want to be with like, drunk like a people. bar. Yeah, yeah, no, we're not a bar. Um, It's like, I hate that word. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I love bars. I just think, I don't think of this space at all as a bar. I think of it more as a house, as like a destination, as a community place. I mean, I don't think of it as a bar at all. Yeah.
0: Are customers receptive of low ABV? I, I, I know as a drinker, like I found myself in the last couple of years, like starting on you know the the far right column and looking at abv first and then working my way back and being like okay like yeah that's the abv i want and oh cool that i'll have that style as well
1: i think so i think our customers are um i think of course there's an audience of people out there who like the higher abv beers but um people we get a lot of feedback that people enjoyed the fact that that's an option, you yeah. know, there's places you go to, it's not even an option for us. It's, it's a big part of our menu, but, um, you know, there's bars and breweries that it's 10 doubles on and, yeah, you know, maybe a stout or whatever, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's not, it's not really a hard sell. Um, it is, I will say it's harder in packaging. Um, when it comes to packaging, people like, like our food or Pilsner does really well in package, but, in terms of volume, a when we do what I call like the hypier styles, a double IPA or a sour IPA, for your yeah. sour IPA, the the volume is not the same. I mean the fruited and the doubles, they just it is what it is. The market, they sell like crazy. Yeah. So um, but on premise, it's it's a lot more consistent. Like our wit, which is one of my favorite beers, that's the one I was uh alluding to before called Gather House. Um which I guess the
0: first beer you made.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We released that at the same time with a food or Saison. But yes, it was yeah. yeah first release. Um we keep that on top all the time and it's it's like right there with our double IPAs. It's very, very popular on draft. Very popular. So yeah. It's what do great. you
0: attribute that to though?
1: There's a there's a market for it. There's people that enjoy drinkable, approachable beers. I mean, look at allagash White. That's really yeah. what built that beer after, which is just the pinnacle of that style. I'm a huge allagash fan, and I'm a huge fan of that beer and all everything they do, really. But um, there's clearly a market for that style. You know, you, it's not a style that you see hype breweries ever brewing. Um, but it's I, I just think it's a beautiful style of beer. I mean, you have you got the yeast that's going to come right in the in the forefront you got all those cool esters coming out from the yeast and then um, spices and coriander and orange peel and we do our own little tweak in there that we think makes that beer special Um, and you know a nice wheat base it's just it's got that balance of being soft and delicate it's got a great aroma great flavor and super drinkable low abv it i think that appeals to the craft beer aficionado and the like hate to say it, but the blue moon drinker or just like
0: Rob Todd has gone on the record saying that like his brewery wouldn't have been as successful uh, because of Allagash white, if not for blue moon.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was, I mean, he, he had to educate people on or that something style at the like time. that, but he, yeah.
0: but yeah, he, he definitely has you know, not dismissed that beer.
1: Yeah. And well, for us, that's Allagash white did all the work cause we're a lot yeah. younger. And so now like people are familiar with that style. Mostly because of Allagash White. So, um, that's interesting. Yeah.
0: And, and you can sell people on that of like, you know, oh, if you like Allagash White, if you've heard of Allagash White, yeah. which is the generation before you and before that, you know, always had to mention one of the larger macros, probably sure. if they were trying to, yeah, to get into something. Uh, When I first got here, uh, you were walking me around the space, and and, and we were talking about generations. We were talking Mm about um, uh, breweries uh, that have come before. And and whatever generation we're headed into right now, I think that 19 and 20 could be, from what I'm seeing, um, important years Mm -hmm. in the next generation of brewers in the same way that 1986 was and 1996 was. I, I think just because of everything that's happening in the world right now, the breweries that are opening right now could have have an impact and when we think about you know breweries like Allegash that mm-hmm. you know have brought belgian style uh, wit ale into the forefront, mm-hmm. or you go back and you think about dogfish and stone and what they did with IPAs or you think about Sierra Nevada with pale ale back back in the day i'm not asking you to take on too much of a mantle for your very you know nascent generation as, as as it were but <laughs> What sort of mark do you want this brewery to have in beer?
1: For us, it's um, making the destination and the even the aesthetic from a branding point of view, but also just on premise, experiencing the beer here, um, and then just the way we communicate on social media like aesthetic is very important to us um speaking to our customer like so having all of that tie into the beer so like rather than it just being a beer because beer's been brewed for i don't know millions of years yeah, thousands of, years whatever. so yeah. yeah um so maybe, maybe not millions i don't yeah, know it's, it's forever yeah. right okay, yeah. so for me at least um as long as there's been recorded history yes, yes. yeah so um I think that's still an underexplored concept where it's connecting the beer to the land. So the concept of terroir, which we touched on a little bit for us, our farmhouse beers like, we get excited as, as making the beer and talking about portfolio uh, just design. We feel we can offer something that hasn't been seen by the market. So you can come here and have a beer that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else, which is cool. Cause we all can make IPA, but IPA is going to be pretty consistent across the country. Um, you'd hope. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for us, it's it's bringing, it's connecting them to the space, connecting them to the experience, even more so than what I think has been done in the past. I think there's a lot of breweries that focus really hard on the beer and then kind of neglect having a beautiful experience in a beautiful space, which is something we put right next to our beer. Like, beer should be top quality, but at the same time, like, we want people to come to our brewery and be blown away by the experience and the space that they're in. So I think... Drawing that, connecting that, yeah.
0: Do those go hand in hand? I, I, I I, I was saying before, you know, I had had your beer before I came up here, and walking into this space, it made sense to me Mm -hmm. that the beer fits in with your aesthetic. Yeah. It's not like a disjointed thing. And I mean, you're talking about social media, and you're talking about you know putting stuff out there. This doesn't feel like marketing to me, though. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, for us, it's just an expression of who we are. So right, you're just. It's just the way it's so easy to commu- communicate with your consumer this day. Like for us, it's just as, as simple as a post. Like this is what we're doing. This, you know, we're opening up our tasting room and people are like, how do you advertise? We didn't advertise at all. We didn't like, we just posted and it's word of mouth. And, and so, um, I completely lost my train of thought there. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I, 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 circle the square with, yeah. you know,
0: beer and yes. place yes. hand in hand.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean I think when you think about the styles of beer that we're making, they are a representation of our space. They're a representation of our land. I mean, we from we didn't even talk about like harvesting yeast from our property, but we find yeast on our property, we yeah. prop it up, and then again, fermenting an oak, the local ingredients. We didn't even touch on the beauty of Warwick and the richness of the a- agriculture of Warwick, which is just a whole nother. Well, I want to get into thing. that, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, connecting the beer to the land and then having as long as that's part of your core mission and that's communicated right off the bat, then, um, I, I think, people can ex- just experience the beer and still have a sense of who we are. Like a lot of people who come here and have not tried the beer. I, we briefly touched on this earlier, but like they feel like they're in Vermont, which is great. And then I've sent beer to people who are beer friends and they're like, this beer reminds me of Vermont beer. And I'm like, that's awesome. So like who, who said that you can say that. The, the that geeks was, will appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh Pete from EQ. He's like, yeah, yeah, this reminds me of Vermont beer. And I'm like, that's awesome. Uh, he hasn't even been here yet, but he's like, I feel like this is, I feel like this is Vermont. What, so. is that, what does that mean though? Because you got yeah. excited by that. Uh, Vermont's beautiful. Vermont's okay. beautiful. And that's what we want people, like people don't realize when you're not here that you're going to have, you're, like we're gonna, you're going to relax because immediately you've got the Appalachian Mountains in the backdrop that are just, you can't miss them. The, the beauty of the land is so much a part of our space that it's like, it's kind of, we kind of put it in your face. So, and that's what I think Vermont is. I, m- I mean, I remember going to the first time to Hill Farmstead, and I thought I was lost because I'm like, first of all, I'm going everybody down, does right. That first uh, like, time. Yeah. yeah, so I'm going down this dirt road, and then you pull up, and it's like, this is just stunning. It's yeah. beautiful, and then the beer is beautiful, and it's like, it almost makes the beer better, and it, it and vice versa. Like the beer makes the experience better. Like if those go hand in hand, and the and the the sp- the space that you're enjoying the beer in is that stunning, then I think it actually. Enhances the overall experience it enhances the beer as well at least for me. I mean, I love going to Hill Farms. So it's, it's just like it's very unique experience
0: when, when I get asked and I do a lot, you know, like, uh, you know, like What's the favorite beer you ever had and yeah. it, it, it's never actually about just the liquid itself It's right. always about the context that I had it in and who I was with and where I was drinking and it could have just been a perfectly ordinary beer But it's sure. it's, it's 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 the th- you know that, it's that, that sense of it um is it difficult then to have your beer? Because you talk about space, you talk <laughs> about here and right. drinking it here. Is it difficult then to have your beer out in the wilds and the bodegas of Brooklyn in you know all of these other places where that message that you want to convey? Can labels only go so far? You know, uh, you know people can 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 read your mantra. But, you know, if yeah. there's police sirens out their window or, you know, the kid is screaming down the hall or you're you're looking at work emails while you're while you're <laughs> drinking. Is it? I mean, we don't.
1: Is there a worry? It's not a worry. Um, I think obviously just from a business perspective, it's helpful to have your beer. Off <laughs> well, private. Like, somebody well, needs sure, to, yeah. Yeah. And the checks are nice. Yeah, yeah. A check is nice. And also, how do people know that we even exist here? Right. We're we're very young. We. How, how would, like, most people don't know about Drownlands Brew in Warwick, New York, right? So how do you get people aware of, of who you are and what you're doing? Well, I mean, they will after this show. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> the three guys who listen to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but no, I, I mean, it doesn't worry. It doesn't worry me because one, it's going to be hard for us to do a lot of off-premise beer at this point anyway, just because our brew house is only so big and we're, we can move through it in our tasting room. Um, but two, I think the places that we do send our beer to are very, very good places. We're, we're lucky to have New York city not that far from us and New York city is yeah. a big audience. A lot of people who come here actually come from New York city because it's well, only, I mean, beer. it's
0: the crow flies. It's 50 miles.
1: Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little less, but yeah. yeah. Yep. So, um, I mean, that's still our audience base and You know, the the, New York City just has incredible bars, right? I mean, they get the best beer in the world. They can really get whatever. So to have, you can go down the list, tourists as is, proletariat, blind tiger, these amazing establishments, that's who we get. That's, those are the only people that we send beer to in New York City. So we're lucky enough that it's like, when we send that, we're sending some crazy stuff in and they'll appreciate it and actually, and they'll sell it and 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 it'll be received. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. We're lucky in that sense that that, that network is already there um, just because I think there's, again, there's obviously a great scene in New York City. And then the Hudson Valley, The if people aren't familiar with the scene, it's incredible. I mean, I think there's amazing beer coming out of New York, specifically the Hudson Valley. So, yeah, um, so I, I, I think it's varsity. one of
0: the better beer regions in the country at I, this I, point. Yeah, I think so, too. So And so much of it, of what you're trying to do comes from here mm-hmm. you know you start, you briefly touched on it with harvesting yeast from here which immediately mm-hmm. makes it unlike any other beer that sure. you're going to get anywhere else but this is great farm country as mm-hmm. well I mean we have orchards around us there's you know wonderful produce that comes from here there's wonderful yeah, yeah a, 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 everything in between when you're when it is peak growing season or before growing season uh and I know you've only been around in this place mm-hmm. for, for for a year though but you Been around it quite a bit. Where does inspiration come from when you're driving around, or tasting, or talking with farmers? Like what, what excites you when you
1: want to create something new? Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's that's the idea of just taking what your land gives you, right? That's like what a true saison for me is. It's like how they made saisons back in the day. Was they they didn't have the privilege of a microbreweries back then people are making their own beer. And if you're a farmer, you needed something that was going to quench your thirst and low ABV. And, um, you brewed it with what you had available, like what was, what you were probably growing yourself or what your neighbors were growing. So, um, for us, part of that is like everybody else, you kind of just have to take what grows in your region and, and make the best of it to an extent. Um, like this year I was really hoping to do a peach beer and the peach harvest this year was just... It got decimated. It, yeah, yeah, it just didn't happen. Which bad season for it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, um, obviously, like, we have wild stuff just sitting in oak right now that's just kind of awaiting cool, in- like, local ingredients, right? Like, we can add those later. So it's just
0: a base beer that's just sort of...
1: We can totally start with a base, yes. Chilling well, out and... Yeah, I mean, you. we want to let that beer sour for a while anyway, so... Um, in That sense, it's got to be good that you're the accountant <laughs> in terms of what the profitability of the beer, you know, like you just have stuff that's just chilling out, just yeah, you know, waiting. Oh my god, maybe, yeah. yeah. I think when I first looked at Open a I was like, man, <laughs> I almost felt like I was opening like a distillery because like distilleries are right? like, I'm like, I don't know how they do that where they like distill and they're like, we're not going to release anything for four years. It's like, that's yeah. not that's not great for cash flow, yeah. Uh, that's 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 basic economics there, but. But now you can, now you can feel their pain, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's the nice thing about us having a balanced menu too, is like, our way, you know, we can crank that out in a couple of weeks, that's sure. not a big deal, so. Um, but yeah, I mean, our wild stuff, it, it. you know, it doesn't have to be our money maker, mm-hmm. um, but I think because we do it, it I think it makes us kind of who we are and, um, even if it's a smaller volume of what our total business is, that's okay. It's feasible. It's doable. Yeah. Um, we charge a little bit more for it too, <laughs> so you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think people understand
0: that as well. Yeah, you know, they do. You know, time equals. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Some right. people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Where you are, there is that a tough conversation to have
1: with people. Um. You know, I think we, being a destination brewery, I think you want to keep your prices. Like, we definitely don't want to just have everything be a 750 milliliter bottle that's super expensive. It's 20, 25 bucks or whatever. So um, we have some super, like our our Pilsners are five, six bucks, which is like, I think people actually have told us. Yeah, yeah, they're surprised. They like actually thought our beer was gonna be more expensive than it was. So um, again, just having balance in the menu, I think, if there is someone here who's price sensitive, then you just kind of steer them towards more price sensitive beer. It's probably not the right beer for them and that's okay. So, um, it's not too hard of a sell.
0: We're at this weird part in COVID Mm -hmm. the whole thing's been weird. Um, but we're starting to get into the, uh, to the cooler months again. And people are worried about a, a resurgence, which, you know, based on the numbers in this area look likely, um, A lot of plans got put on hold. A lot of people, you know, it's, I think it's great news that you were able to open five weeks ago here. And I think it's awesome that people are coming out and hopefully being smart when they're Mm -hmm. when they're here. Um, If and when all of this is said and done and we can get back to, you know, let's just say January 2020 when the world felt, you know, weird, but, you know, normalized-ish. What's on the horizon? What what didn't get done that you want to get done that you're excited about.
1: There's so much more for us to do here. I mean, we're so young, just like for us, just getting the tasting room open was, was a big goal. And we just got that done. Um, but there's a ton more we could do with our outdoor space.
0: It's just a concrete truck. It's fine. (laughs) This is, this is the fun of like recording on location, which I've only done two or three times now, I think since, uh, uh, since COVID hit. So yeah, I, I, you all can bear with the, the concrete truck in the background while Mike and I have this conversation yeah. because damn it, I'm at a brewery right now. So just, <laughs> you know, deal with it. We're almost at the end anyway. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I think food is a big thing. That's a big, like, again, going back to if, if you're a destination, I think food just makes sense. Um, so that's something I'm actually looking forward to building out. Um, we want to, I don't know that we'll ever be really a restaurant per se, Right. but um, anything that could be fermented, so cheese, bread, anything involving yeast really, um, sauce. That's exciting. Yeah, like house-made fermented sauces that are just, that, I mean, that's where my mind starts going, and then harvesting, like the just the agriculture, because we talked about how this is farm country. Yeah. Um, Just getting in local ingredients and and using those. So a food program is is on the horizon. That's a big thing, and that's a big undertaking. Um, We need to... Expand our brew house. That's a big project. Already, we do. Yeah, it's we're we're at, we're making as much beer as we can, as fast as we can. Did Did you expect that to happen? Not as quickly as it happened. no. Um, I really had no idea what to expect with twenty twenty. Right, it's a right. weird year. And then opening a business, opening a brewery at any time, like you don't know what to expect. Right, like right. you hope people buy into what you're doing, but it's not a guarantee. And then on top of that, you know, there added variables this year that was like, we, we just don't know, right? We don't know how comfortable people are going to be going out. So I did not expect to go through as much beer as we did as quickly as we did. Um, but obviously a good problem to have, but still something that like anyone who's built a brewery before knows. It's like getting in a bunch more tanks and expanding is not a simple, easy thing to do. It's no. doable, but yeah. Um, so that's on the horizon. Um, and then, yeah, I think just kind of continuing. We'll probably... I'd like to get a little bit of beer into New Jersey. We don't distribute a whole lot. We distribute to New York City, right? Albany area, good bars in that area, and I think there's a few in Jersey. So maybe just a little bit more there. But be nice. Yeah, Yeah, just saying. Like we're we're right next door. Yeah. Um,
0: Thanks for sitting down with me today. No I really appreciate it. Thank and, you for having uh, me. Thank you for coming. Yeah, and yeah. thanks to the concrete truck as well. But uh, uh, it's nice to see progress happening in this area. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So, yep. Thanks again. Yeah,
1: thank you. Cheers.
0: That's my cry of Drownlands Brewing in Warwick, New York. If you're in the area, need a pint, and want to be far from people, go check out the brewery, choose from one of the 16 taps, and spend a relaxing bit away from it all. I'm already looking forward to my next visit. Who's inspiring you these days? Who's just crushing it when it comes to good beer, atmosphere, and philosophy? Send me a note and tell me about it. The email is johnhall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at beeredge.com, or tell me on Twitter at john underscore hall. And also, please remember to leave a review of this show to help others find it, and be sure to check out beeredge.com for news, podcasts, and to sign up for the newsletter. And also remember, steal this beer every Monday, the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of each month, and to download the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. With all of that, your beer needs are absolutely covered. Nate Schweber does the music for this show. Jeff Quinn designed our logo. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday. And that's when I'll be back again with you to drink beer and to think beer.